Hi there, I'm AR. Welcome back to the Lore Research Lab. And if you're new here, welcome to the Lore Research Lab, where I ramble about Nintendo video games. This is the 67th log and the fifth review. Looking at Kirby and the Forgotten Land. I'm just trying so hard to not have this humongous smile on my face because, oh my God, I'm finally talking about this game. Ah, today's thesis. What is there to know about Kirby and the Forgotten Land as a game? And should you own it? Absolutely. It's time to deep dive, folks. I am absolutely ecstatic to talk about this game. Um, independent of my usual spiel being that, oh, I never talk about games outside of Pokemon and Legend of Zelda. It's not even about that. I'm just genuinely happy to talk about this game. Um, and it's going to be the first time I formally talk about a Kirby game in like a formal episode, finally, because I had those some of those uh, extras um, prior to the release. But you know what? It's it's time to finally get into the into the details. Um, so, uh, you know, I, again, have not talked about Kirby in a formal episode prior to this one. Um, but what better way to inaugurate a Kirby, you know, game on uh, on a recording here for the Lore Research Lab with one of the most fun games to really ever come out of the franchise. I mean, it's a pretty broad claim to make, but this game is so much fun. But before we truly understand how wonderful a game this is, it's time to talk about the basic premise, followed up by a whole lot of other things you should know going into this game. So Let's 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 get into the story, shall we? What what are we starting off with? So Kirby is one of many residents living on planet Popstar, a planet that's shaped like a star, who would have guessed? One peaceful day, a sudden interdimensional vortex appears and sucks Kirby into a different world. Kirby acclimates rather quickly to this new environment, where he meets Elphalin, a chinchilla-like creature that's covered in blue-green fur, and he's absolutely adorable. After saving Elphalin from the aggressive but rather cute-looking Woofies, Kirby and Elphalin team up to rescue Waddledees, who are other inhabitants of Planet Popstar, who also happen to get sucked into this interdimensional vortex and were subsequently trapped in varying areas across this forgotten land. Kirby's journey now begins in this new world as he embarks on this quest to save all the Waddledees and find out what the heck is going on here. So, that's about it for the basic premise of this game, because I'm going to try and keep this as spoiler free as possible. When there are spoilers, they will be marked and timestamped. So you just skip over those parts and get to the parts where you're like, yes, this is what I want to hear without knowing anything else about the game. So let's get into gameplay points and objectives. What does this game, what is it like to play this game? And what are your expectations while playing the game? What, the, what, is, what, are, what is the game expecting from you? Let's get into it. So just as some quick little background, Kirby games have always been noted for their fun, but rather simple gameplay. And without a shred of doubt, I can tell you for a fact, this game does take that basic gameplay template that uh, prior Kirby games worked with. It takes it to a different level. Now, this isn't to say that Kirby and the Forgotten Land is a significantly harder game, but comparatively to other Kirby games, it is. And I could actually enjoy that. That was something that was a very interesting experience because my, my uh, categorization of Kirby games is always that they've been like a breath of fresh air and you know they're very easy very um there's not a whole lot of thinking required to play through the game it has some you know basic 
controlling and whatnot, you still need to be, uh, you still need to know how to play a 2D platformer type of thing. But Kirby games have just never been very complicated. Um, and I'd say Kirby in the Forgotten Land is probably the most complicated Kirby game we've ever had. And this is the first ever like fully 3D Kirby game, like like open world in a sense. It's not purely open world. It still very much follows some of the typical aspects of the 2D platformers that have preceded this game. But this is the first ever like proper 3D game because we've had some 3D Kirby 3DS games, but those were not strictly 3D. It incorporate aspects of 3D gameplay because it's for the you know 3DS, so it makes sense but it's not a fully 3D game, if that makes sense. The environment itself is still not fully 3D, um, but this game is. So we have to keep in mind that this is actually quite innovative for a Kirby game. And again, when I say it, like when I made, when I made that point before, that compared to previous Kirby games, this is harder. This is also the case, which is that for, I'm thinking about this in the context of the Kirby franchise and not necessarily in a broader scheme of Nintendo games, because Yes, a lot of Nintendo games are playing around a whole lot more with these open world concepts um, and things like that. And the and gameplay is affected by that in the process. But I would say this game gives us a great balance of what really worked with the earlier 2D platformers and what, you know, open world environments have to offer. I think it, it bridges those two worlds very nicely. So uh, let's, I'll give a quick kind of rundown of what Kirby games were like before. Kirby in the Forgotten Land though. So, you know, we have Kirby, who's our protagonist, the character we always play as. He's a little pink ball and he has the ability to consume anything. That's his whole shtick. And he's usually transported to another world and is forced to contend with whatever dangers lie in this new world, typically. I'm not saying that's character uh, that's characteristic of all Kirby games. Of course, like I just said, Kirby's most notable trait and ability is his, a power, is his power to inhale just about anything. Um, but in the process um, of absorbing uh, the abilities, uh, um, but in in the process of absorbing abilities, like when he consumes something, certain things grant him powers, copy abilities. He becomes what he eats, um, and this really only applies in the cases of, like I said, enemies um, that have some kind of elemental power or a weapon. So. Uh, you'll hear more about that in a bit though. Um, and by acquiring new abilities, Kirby would be situated in, as I've said, typically a 2D platforming environment that functioned more like side scrollers, meaning you cannot go backwards once you had made a certain amount of progress through that level. And almost a lot like Mario games, you have a greater like world, like let's say like world one, then you have about five levels within that world, five sub areas, if you will. And then once you clear that, beat the boss of world one, then you progress to world two. Kirby very much follows that format. Um, so basically on that note, much like other Nintendo platformers, Kirby would reach the end of the level, progress to the next world, uh, the areas within that world, um, usually acquiring some kind of valuable stone or trinket or like some kind of thing that's you know there's like three or four maybe five that you can even find within the within the area you'd find those kinds of things um which would help you unlock new areas it would help you progress farther through the game so the game is encouraging you to collect whatever these stones might be um and then there's always usually some kind of like fun collectibles to find and things like that too that are not necessary that are not necessary for clearing the game but are just little fun things you can get so another 
gimmick of most Kirby games is giving him some kind of special power. So in a new world that he's transported to, he could do things that enhance his ability to swallow things. So for example, in the 3DS release, Kirby Triple Deluxe, Kirby could consume the miracle fruit in very specific locations. It would not appear everywhere, but it would appear in, in very specific places, which would give him the ability to literally swallow anything. His stomach becomes a black hole and he's able to create air vacuums that bring back boulders that can destroy walls. He can swallow rocks. He can, he can really do just about anything with this ability. And it's hilarious. He turns into like, he becomes all glowing, rainbow colored and it's just it's so much fun playing through that game and just seeing him just inhale everything like he just one of the first things you do in kirby triple deluxe is learning how to use the miracle like the abilities of the miracle fruit which just includes swallowing stuff and he just straight up eats a tree and i'm like this is the funniest thing ever only kirby games could really make that gameplay fun and balance it out with being dorky like it's still something that you're gonna laugh at and enjoy but also be like oh this is actually like a part of gameplay it's a part of the story so you're not it's not totally, it's not just there for the heck of it. It's important still. And I find that really, really great about these games. Um, and that counts as well, this ability to eat the miracle fruit and enter the form of hypernova, that counts as a copy ability. And I've thrown that word around, I guess, once or twice now. We'll hear about that in the next section. But let's bring us back to the present now. So now we have a little bit of background of how previous Kirby games used to function. So sure, the ability to become what you eat remains consistent with Kirby, but with the incorporation of Mouthful Mode, something else I'll touch on in a bit, this game's new copy ability, Kirby can possess objects and vehicles like metallic rings, cars, traffic cones, and vending machines to interact more with this new 3D, with this new 3D environment. Um, and much like previous Kirby games, Kirby has to progress through an area, reach the endpoint, find, you know, the the hidden things, secret collectibles. Um, the collectibles in this game are actually little uh, like figurines, um, and they're they're really they're really cute because they're just little statues. You still got your mini bosses within the levels as well. Another thing that's constituent of previous Kirby games. So, like if like like basically the broader point I'm making here is this game isn't that far distanced from its predecessors. I know I spoke a bit about mouthful mode um, just now, but I am going to go into a little bit more detail in a bit. So with all that being said, the gameplay still definitely shifts with this game because it's much more expansive. It's the first time we're getting a full 3D environment with a Kirby game. So there's a lot more room to explore. When you go through a level, it's not even it's not as linear anymore because that is the case with previous Kirby games. It's very linear. You go from point A to point B, but with Kirby in the Forgotten Land, there's point A, but you'll be able to access after going to point B, there'll be point C, there will be a sub area of point D, but then there'll be, you know, E, F, and then, you know, the end point of the level is like point G or something. Like there's multiple different ways you can get to the end of that level, assuming you explore as much as possible. And that's only, that can only happen with a 3D open world type of game. It doesn't really work with linear levels. Um, even if previous Kirby games did have sub areas that were like secret and concealed, they'd still be within the linear part of point A to point B. But like I said, with this game is that it's from point A to point B, point C could be thrown in really anywhere. And if you don't know where those points are, then it's like you wouldn't even realize how like the lack of linearity within Kirby levels are in this game. And I think that's great. The incorporation of mouthful mode as well really changes things up um, because as a copy ability in this game, for me, it's like from an experiential point of view, greatly differs from like previous gimmicky copy abilities they've introduced in previous games. It 
it, it displaces some linearity that does still exist in the game. So it's like if that if there if that linear concept of point A to point B still exists in Kirby and the Forgotten Land, which it does, um, the mouthful mode, uh, like the incorporation of mouthful mode, definitely changes things up, because. What we see here, taking all of these things into consideration, the fact that it's a you know a more open world 3D environment within a given level, the fact that the copyability has a lot of different applications, and it really depends on how the game wants you to use mouthful mode because it's not like you'll have a mul like multiple different options. It's just whatever the level demands of you. Um, taking all those things into consideration, um, there are added objectives in this game. So your basic the basic premise is that you are trying to save um all the waddledees in the game right but let's get let's get into a bit more detail with this so before beginning a level kirby will see what quests are listed for that level there's i'm pretty sure there's only ever five for a given level um and it's only marked ever by two to begin with the first one is usually like clear the stage and then the second one is save the hidden waddledees um, which can vary in number from level to level. So clear the stage. Usually you're saving, I think, three waddledees. So you're guaranteed to save three at the end of every level in the game. Um, but the quests themselves can vary. So the second one, the second major one of every given level in Kirby and the Forgotten Land is saving the hidden waddledees. That can range anywhere between three to five waddledees that are concealed within the, within the area. So again, that aspect of exploration is key. Because um, if you don't adventure and you don't kind of look around and try and search, you're never going to know where those other uh, like secret waddledees are. Because if there's three to start off like that, you know, are guaranteed to be at the end of the level and there's like three to five more that you could find in that same level. Let's do some quick math. If we're assuming the uh, the maximum number, which is five. I believe that's that is the max I've ever come across in any of these levels. But there's five. Then there's a minimum of technically a minimum of eight waddledees to save in a level. And that doesn't sound like a whole lot, but if you consider like the number of you know sub areas that you adventure through, which is usually like five, five sub areas in a given like world, if you will, um, uh, that's a that's a lot of waddledees. I'm not going to do any more math than that. It just consider that there's anywhere between like uh you know six to eight waddledees guaranteed per level um and it's like you're just looking at a lot basically um but anyways let's get back to quests so the other three quests are marked by question marks you don't know what they are and they can be discovered while progressing through the levels so the quests themselves are not revealed unless you do it or after you clear the area at which indicates that you never actually did it because the game is just going to tell you at that point. But the, while you're playing through the level, the game will only tell you um, if you didn't find out by accident yourself. So let me try and put this into words. Let's say you're going through an area and you do a thing and you're adventuring as much as possible. Um, maybe you have like a quest that's like, you got to eat this food or something. That's actually a thing in multiple different levels where it's like, eat this food a certain number of times then it's like, if you don't search through all the little boxes and stuff and little areas and open up all the little flowers, because if you do that, sometimes you get coins, sometimes you get food. If you don't do those kinds of things, you're never going to know that that's, that's actually a quest to the level. And the game will tell you that after you clear the area. Um, so yeah, um, Kirby games, I don't think have ever really had quests associated with their levels. So I think this is a pretty big deal and it's really cool because it encourages replayability. It encourages you to become more familiar with the area. So if you're like, 
I, like I don't know. I guess like speed running this game, I wonder what it what it would be like to be completely honest. But it's like simply rushing through a level is not going to give you the full experience of what that place has to offer because finding all those little secret areas and discovering how these quests work and how they lead you to different places and it affects your decisions while going through a level makes it so much more immersive and fun. I really enjoyed that aspect about it where I was like, there were multiple levels where I replayed them just for the heck of it because they were genuinely just that fun. And then there were other times where I missed some waddle Ds and I'm like, okay, I need to go back and save them. Um, so yeah, uh, definitely, definitely adds something to the level and it's not just about clearing it. You got to consider all these things when you go through it. Um, so again, if you remember the basic premise of this game is that a bunch of Waddledees got captured from Planet Popstar and were brought into this mysterious world along with Kirby. The exception being that Kirby was not captured while these Waddledees were. So the game, while it tells you about clearing the stage and saving the hidden Waddledees, each other quest listed saves one Waddledee per quest. So when you are doing this quest that requires you to eat three different types of food or something, that are, and the food is hidden within the level, you are saving one Waddle in the process. So basically, you have three other additional Waddle to save added to that count of that minimum of like six to eight. Isn't that crazy? So on average, you are saving 10 to 12 Waddle per level. And that that is a lot more when you think about it, right? So when I said that count of like eight before, that that is a lot cumulatively. But then when you consider for each level that it is 10 to 12, that is so much more because math. Um, so it not only does this game encourage you to save all the waddledees because it's like, they also have this little cage symbol where it's like, if you haven't saved that waddledee, it's grayed out and it's still like on the cage. But when you save the waddledee, the text pops up with the quest like description and they, there's no longer a cage, it shows the waddledee. Um, it's like, it just brings a lot of joy and it's really nice um, when you like uh, save all the waddledees because they'll all jump on this little golden star and like, leave the area they'll give a little wave to kirby and the game will be like saved all the waddledees and then you just progress farther through the game but it's just very wholesome and cute and even when you're playing through the game and you find them imprisoned in their cages like where whatever wherever they are within the level they do this little dance with kirby and they both like jump up and smile kirby waves to them as they go poof because you know they're like apparating out of the level or whatever but it's like it's just really really wholesome the game does a wonderful job making you want to save all the waddledees and become a completionist because i would i feel genuinely bad when i don't save a waddledee because i'm just like wow i'm a terrible person for not finding all the waddle all the waddledees the first time i need to save them because if you don't already know waddledees are just the most adorable little things um so yeah um and with all that being said, there is a grand total of 300 Waddle Dees in this game for you to save. So these quests keep you really busy and they bring a smile to your face when you do save them because like I said, they are really freaking cute. Um, and that, and, and I will say that was in truth my biggest motivation for saving the Waddle Dees. I wanted to do the quests, sure, but I wanted to save them because of those cute little animations where they do a little dance with Kirby and things like that. I'm just like, this is so adorable, you know? Like, you know, what, who could dislike a harmless waddle? It's just, it's just it, it is what it is. Um, uh, so, like I said before, you're never just expected to clear a level. You're expected to clear the level and a whole lot more. Um, so, you know, tasks can vary between being quite simple, like 
remove the wanted poster or greet the seabirds or perk up with cups of coffee. That one cracked me up the first time. So I'm just like, <laughs> that's so funny. It's like, you gotta find coffee specifically. Um, others are less straightforward and are hidden within the level, which then adds a level of difficulty in saving all the waddledees from a given area. So if I mentioned before that 10 to 12 waddledees tend to be the typical number you're saving in a given, in a given level slash sub area, well, then some of those are a lot less are, are a lot less easy to come by than others. I don't know if my grammar was correct then, but I don't, I don't know. So I'll be discussing like areas and stuff like the geography of this game a whole lot more later. So just put a pin on that for now. But speaking of difficulty, this game has two game playing modes. There's spring breeze mode, I believe it's called, and wild mode. So spring breeze mode is for new players who are not as familiar with the game. Uh, it's, bas it's easy mode, essentially, giving Kirby a higher health bar but less star coin rewards. So the main currency in this game is are called star coins. Um, I don't know what is, the green green coins are like worth five, blue are worth thirty. I think red is worth twenty. And then the normal yellow, the gold ones are just one individual like coin. But anyways, uh, that 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 is what it is. Star coins are are very are very are very important. I'll get into that, I guess, a little bit more in a bit. Wild mode rewards the player with more star coins, so it's a lot easier to acquire lots of money fast on like spring breeze mode. Of course, the thing with spring breeze mode is that if you do want to acquire money fast, you just gotta find the levels where you can find a lot of star coins, because that is also a possible thing. It would just require you to replay through the whole level to get all those coins. Um, in wild mode, you really only have to play through like one level to like get over a hundred coins because they're just so much easier to come by. But in wild mode, you have a significantly shorter health bar, making it easier for enemies to get hits on you. So that's the trade-off. With easy mode, you got a higher health bar, but it's slightly harder to find money. Um, whereas in wild mode, super easy to get money fast, but you got a shorter health bar, so you're more in danger of, you know, dying. Um, I'm currently doing my run of the game through wild mode, having beat it on spring breeze mode or whatever, because, oh, that was a journey and that was so much fun. Um, so the last thing in terms of gameplay, and I guess objectives, I should say, last thing I want to discuss are, are things called treasure roads. So treasure roads are these little secret side areas that you can unlock after clearing a level where waddledees can be saved. So these are time attack areas, meaning you need to clear this kind of sub area. As, as soon as possible using that copy ability. You have anywhere between one minute to three minutes to clear the level. If you don't do it in enough time, well, you just gotta start from scratch. The way like dying works in this game is that Kirby does not have lives. It's a lot like Super Mario Odyssey where instead of having lives, you have a coin count. So if you have, let's say a thousand coins in this game, in Kirby in the Forgotten Land, let's say you have a thousand coins, but you die for whatever reason in the game, you will lose a hundred coins for dying. And that's actually not good. So you, like in the early game, it's in your interest to stay alive because losing money at that stage is not ideal. The farther you get through the game, the less of an impact this will have on you because you'll definitely break 10,000 coins um, at some point. So then, especially if you're saving up, like, I don't know, I just, I was very like, reserved with my money spending in the game. So I didn't actually spend a whole lot, but a hundred coins is actually quite a bit. So if you keep dying repeatedly, you know, if you die like five times, you're losing 500 coins. That's a lot in this game. So, uh, which is kind of nice because previous Kirby games, much like even Mario games for that, for that, uh, for that matter, um, would function on the basis of lives and losing lives could, 
could be almost like it's easier to fail that way but at least with coins there's a way to get it back so this isn't to say that because this does not have a like a lot like a it doesn't it uses coins over lives it doesn't make the game easier actually it makes you more conscious of the fact that you need to be careful with what you do um and this and this and this logic still applies to treasure roads because even though treasure roads are just a side thing um uh it you still need to make sure you clear it within the time frame given to you because if you don't you got to replay it but then you also lose 100 coins in the process so it's like not ideal and the point of treasure roads is that you acquire these rare stones which look like stars so i think i'll just interchange interchangeably be calling rare stones stars as well that's your you get one as a reward per treasure road um, this is different from the currency you acquire, star coins. The rare stone is, has a separate count from star coins. It's not like a rare stone is equivalent to like a thousand star coins. A rare stone is its own thing. Um, and rare stones can instead be invested into copy abilities, making them stronger. And on that note, I shall now discuss copy abilities and what the deal is with that in this game. It feels like I've taken forever to get to this point though. Right, so the concept of copy abilities, uh, it's been in the franchise for quite a while. I've already discussed that, right? It's, it's Kirby's main gimmick, the fact that he swallows an enemy and acquires that ability. He swallows a little sword fighter guy, um, he is able to use the sword ability. Um, so here are just a, a couple of quick examples, the sword one being one example. So there's sword, there's cutter, fire, ranger, hammer. There's so many other ones that you can get in this game um across other and in previous kirby games they would there was a lot more uh, not experimentation but they definitely had some more that were different and a lot of those did not carry over for example in the 3ds game kirby planet robobot they introduced one ability called poison that was a really cool ability actually i really like that where kirby's able to spit poison he can blow like puffs of air that are poisonous so if you like have a fan and there's like air blowing if Kirby created like like poisonous air or something like breathed into the air and, and it would just float off. You could you could do remote damage. It's really cool. And then if Kirby like did some kind of side attack, you could create like a little poison swamp in your trail that would only hurt enemies. It wouldn't hurt you. Great ability, not in this game. Um, but this is also to say that there's a lot of variety when it comes to copy abilities. Um, sometimes they're necessary for clearing in an area, uh, for clearing an area, and I'm using the term necessary loosely here because it's it's in the sense that you don't, if you don't use it, you won't be able to get a collectible, or you won't be able to save a waddle dee, or it will be more tedious to do the level if you don't have the right ability copied. Um, there are specific quests in the game where it's like beat this mini boss using this copy ability because if you don't do that or you don't use that ability properly, um, then you won't clear the quest. So it's like sometimes you need to consider that because as I mentioned before, clearing a quest means saving a waddle outside of the two main ones of clearing the stage and saving the hidden waddle So there's those individual ones, right? So again, that's why you should, it's also good to be mindful of this. Um, that being said, the game always throws tons of enemies at you, so there's always some way to figure it out. It's not like you're completely lost and there's no way to know this. And of course, because I said that the game does eventually tell you what the quest is that you didn't complete the first time, 
you'll know what ability you need to use uh, the second time around. Uh, so for Treasure Road, the game just gives you the copy ability needed for clearing that area because the point of Treasure Road is like, for this Treasure Road, you need to use the sword ability. So it will just give you that. Then you go in, you automatically have it. You won't ever lose it throughout the, the Treasure Road. You just have it on permanently, but you'll go back to whatever previous ability you already had equipped when you go back to like the main levels. Or if you didn't have an ability equipped at all, then you'll just be normal Kirby. Um, uh, but yeah, and the point of Treasure Road as well is it's you have to troubleshoot and figure out how to use the ability as efficiently as possible. For example, there's a bomb copy ability. With the bomb, you have the ability to roll it on the ground, but also throw it and aim it. So in one Treasure Road, one of the big parts of it is learning how to aim properly. So you're in this timed environment, but you're also learning how to use the abilities more effectively. So you actually become better at the game, in my opinion, by doing the Treasure Road like side things because it just it shows you the range of the things you can do with your abilities because this is a very straightforward game in the sense that you're just clicking a couple buttons the most complex thing would be moving around and jumping and then just figuring out uh like how to best use the copy abilities but you're really only pressing or mashing a couple buttons because with uh with copy abilities, I'm pretty sure you just use the A button to do all of your attacks. It's not that complicated. Um, but even in that sense, there's a bunch of different applications, a bunch of different things you can do with copy abilities. So use, doing the treasure road, like whatever side things, uh, definitely helps uh, with that process and it makes it easier. So the game is not holding your hand, but it's also giving you instruction in a very different kind of way because it's like, you're learning how to use the ability more, like I just said, but it's timed. You have to do it within two minutes or three minutes or one minute, however much time the, the treasure road gives you. Um, but anyways, like I mentioned before, you get a rare stone as your uh, reward. You, you get that as your reward for clearing treasure road. Um, by paying a certain waddle D with the correct number of star coins and the necessary number of rare stones, you can power up an ability and evolve it into an elevated form of that same ability. So for example, hammer becomes toy hammer, which deals more damage than a normal hammer. Cutter will become chakram cutter, which releases chakrams instead of like boomerang like cutters. So um, it does more damage, has better range, and will hit more enemies at once than a cutter will. Uh, so, cause cutter is, is more again, like a boomerang type of attack, but it doesn't have as much range or do as much damage. Uh, ranger, for example, I think it becomes noble ranger and with noble ranger, you're able to fire attacks more rapidly and, um, you're, it like does like an auto aim for you as well, I think. But it's like, there's like there, the game also definitely not only encourages you to do the treasure roads for its applications for actually getting better at using the abilities, but if you get the rewards, it helps you power up your abilities. So then it becomes easier to deal with mini bosses, um, the actual bosses in the game, because um, there's a boss at the end of every world of the game. Um, we'll get into that with geography. Um, but yeah, so it's like, you really, really want to power up your ability, like the copy abilities because uh, definitely makes the game a lot more fun, actually, to be honest. It's not even about the game being easier or harder. Um, it's more practical to just power them up. And also the way that they elevate these new abilities, for example, fire becomes like volcano fire. And it's just so like so much fun to use. I just love it so much. And the fact that like, Kirby has like literal rocks and magma dripping off of his head. It just looks so funny. And he's so happy too. He's just smiling the entire time. And it's wonderful. Um, so like I said, 
powering up copy abilities makes it easier to defeat enemies, but in some cases are needed for completing level quests. So there's also that added aspect in terms of gameplay. All right, so I'm gonna talk about mouthful mode here. Um, and, on to, and like I said before, I'd expand on it in more detail, but really I just want to say how funny it is and how wonderful it is. So Kirby, like I mentioned before, can possess a bunch of different objects or vehicles, like things. So <laughs> ring mouth Kirby, um, he can, uh, he swallows a ring and he's able to create like giant puffs of air that deal a lot of damage. You know, if there's windmills in the area, turn on all the windmills makes it very easy. But another added thing they put in this game is that if you use ring mouth Kirby um, and put him on a boat and then he just powers up the boat himself because he, he he just, he creates the air and stuff. It's just wonderful. I think mouthful mode, like the car, the car Kirby, I think that's my favorite because when you like are, in, are going at turbo speed, you're just zooming ahead in this car and Kirby's entire like pink body is just on top. And the really cute thing is that his little like red shoes are just like flailing a little bit. So it's like, he's, He's, he's having a good time, but it's also just like, oh my God, his entire body is on this vehicle. It's crazy, but it's so funny at the same time. And oh, traffic cone Kirby just cracks me up so much. Cause the whole thing with traffic cone Kirby is you like, you do attacks by jumping up in the air and then slamming the tip of the traffic cone into the ground or on top of the enemy. There's these enemies called tortildings, like, tor like turtle building tortildings. <laughs> I love that name for an enemy, where it's basically this turtle-like creature that has a concrete shell, like it's literal part of a concrete building, and Kirby has to like jump on top of that and destroy the concrete to defeat the Tortilding, and I'm like, this is just the funniest thing ever, and it's so, so funny. There's so many other, like, uh, oh, light bulb Kirby is so... It's like cute and really dorky looking at the same time because he swallows a, a whole light bulb. Um, and there's a certain, like when this copy is, sorry, when the mouthful mode copyability for the light bulb is first introduced in the game, it's like a completely like pitch dark, like not pitch dark air. Okay, actually it is pitch dark. What am I talking about? It's introducing like this pitch dark area. So you can't really see anything. So Kirby is the light and you hold down on, um, what is it? The A button, you hold that down to, um light up the area but the light attracts certain enemies called gordos which are just these like one-eyed spiked balls so you, you gotta like you can't keep the light on permanently and also kirby can't keep the light on permanently anyway because you have to hold down the button manually in order to keep the light on if you let go of the button then kirby will like the light will dim out so it's like you gotta press it repeatedly in some cases but kirby also like knits his eye like his eyes really tightly shut when he's like lighting up the room kind of thing um and it just brings a smile to my face for how dorky it is but then again how simultaneously cute it is but also it's just so funny then there's one where like kirby will swallow a pipe and he'll just roll down a hill and in the game itself he goes like splat against the wall and the pipe flattens and you can hear him sounding dizzy so you just like um with all of the mouthful mode um copy abilities is that for whatever object kirby has swallowed you hold down the y button to spit it out so then it's like uh, either it, the object will be destroyed or it will just go back to its normal form. For example, the vending machine one, um, when Kirby spits that out, it's just back to being a normal standing vending machine. But with the pipe, for example, if you went 
you know, rammed against a wall and you like flatten against the ground, then Kirby will spit that out, but it will just be destroyed. But it's like, it's mouthful mode is just so much fun. It adds something new to the, to the, um, to the game. And especially with the car one is that they incorporated some racing mini games with the, with this mouthful mode. And they are so much fun. I do those levels just for kicks. Cause like it, even though I've beaten that level more than once, I'm like, I, I don't care. I've done all the quests. I don't need to ever play this level ever again, if I, technically. But it's so much fun because it's just hilarious watching Kirby in car form race around. And uh, I'm just, I just absolutely love this gimmick. It's so dorky. It's so funny. And I love it so much. So now let's talk about geography to get a sense of the kind of place we are working with. Okay, so for this, of course, like I mentioned, typically every there's like a world, a greater world, and then there's a sub area. In this game, there are uh, six. Uh, there are six places you can adventure to. This will be minor spoilers because I think the first world um, will uh, is is the are the areas that were mostly being advertised for the game, um, and there was a couple other specific locations from the second world and the third world that were also being advertised. Um, but then from four through six onwards, I definitely say they were not being as public about uh, like gameplay from those sections. Um, so just minor spoilers for this section. Um, so just keep that in mind. Although I don't think knowing all of these locations will take away from your enjoyment of the game. So just listen to me if you would like. But this will just also help you give a sense of the geography we are working with in this game. So Natural Plains is the first place Kirby arrives in. Um, so this is like a grassland destroyed cityscape type of area. So it's like, it's like an abandoned city. It's like no one's lived there for a really long time. So things are like run down. There's moss covering the, you know, like the, the buildings and stuff. Uh, things are like, you know, just, there's just piles of stuff everywhere. Um, it's like, it's like tidy and whatnot, but it definitely has this abandoned feeling to it. There's this one location called Alival Mall, and it's, it's essentially just an abandoned mall. So there's just like enemies and stuff there. It's fully functional and whatnot, but it, it looks run down. They definitely, the game does a wonderful job showing that it's like, it, it has life but not really. Like it's it's got a slightly empty feeling to it, but at the same time it doesn't because there's like lots of enemies there and there's actually still quite a bit to do. Um, it's still an operational area, but definitely has this kind of like abandoned feeling to it. Then next is Everbay Coast. Love Everbay Coast. It's your typical kind of water beach area with like it's an industrial coastal base essentially. So it has some, you could say factory elements to it, not quite, um, but it's like this kind of seaside area, very nice, lots of fun um, and things like that. Then the third world is called Wondaria Remains and this is just an amusement park. So you got, there's one level where you swallow like a rocket that's supposed to be a part of a roller coaster and then you just straight up go on a roller coaster. And I was like, what the heck? This is so much fun. I would just replay this as like a mini game on its own multiple times because of how fun that was. Um, so the third world is, is really, really fun because it is, again, straight up just an amusement park. Um, so yeah, I would say those three 
Um, those are your starting worlds and they're definitely lots of fun. Great way to start you into the game because it's still very colorful, still very fun, that kind of a thing. I would say with these minor spoiler locations and the remaining worlds for the rest of this, I guess you could say geography description, definitely a lot more foreboding. So for the fourth world, it's called Winterhorn. So this is more of like an iced over European style location. The, there's like a clock tower in like the very first sub area and that reminds me of like Big Ben or something like that in the UK. Um, there's like a there's a metro area, but there's like ice everywhere. So you're on basically a skating rink. And I can say that ice levels in Kirby games are not my favorite. I don't really prefer them because you're like slipping and sliding everywhere and it's very easy to skid and then just get hurt or fall into like a pool of ice water, which does damage to you and that's not fun, but definitely still great, very interactive. It has a whole vibe to it, really like it. Um, it's basically just like, you know, Christmas time. Well, not really, there's less, significantly less colorful lights, but Winter Horns is pretty chill. Um, then next up is Original Wasteland. Now the spelling of original is really funny. I don't know why they did this, but I'm not against it. So original is spelled O-R-I-G-I-N-U-L-L, -L, not A-L, U-L-L, -L, original, no, like, uh, I don't know. But this is your typical desert ruins type of area um, uh, where there's just a lot of, again, industrial but destroyed structures. Um, you have a more, kind of sanded in version of the Alival Mall here. Um, uh, but it's like, again, abend abandoned, uh, parts of like the building are exposed to the outside, um, things like that. A lot, it's just a lot more decrepit in terms of the structure of it. And then the last and final world is Redgar Forbidden Lands. Uh, this is a typical volcano area and not gonna lie, parts of it remind me of Mordor from Lord of the Rings and it's really funny because um, the volcano at the very end of the world too looks like Mordor. <laughs> and I'm like, I was not expecting to see this in a Kirby game. Although, but typically like, like the last world or one of the final worlds in a given Kirby game is usually some kind of volcano fire area type of thing. But I really like what they what they did with uh, Redgar Forbidden Lands. The music here is like chilling, um, but it's like, it's really intense, definitely has this final world feel. It's like, oh my God, I've made it to the end. Here we go kind of thing. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, it's not as fun. It's definitely the hardest of all the different areas you'll adventure through in the game but it is certainly an experience, most certainly. Okay, now there's two other places. I'm not gonna talk about them in a whole lot of detail, but there are two other places to know about, and these are going to be spoilers. So, um, the first is Lab Discovera. Lab Discovera is located in the Redgar Forbidden Lands at the, I believe it's the Mountain Peak, but Lab Discovera is a very shady place. Or is it? Is it located in the Redgar Forbidden Lands? It's hard to tell, but it's, I guess, a sub area that's connected to the Redgar Forbidden Lands. This is where the final battle begins. Not actually takes place, but it's where it begins. And then um, the final like area, if you will, that's comparable to the other areas I've discussed is the Isolated Isles. This is exclusively part of the post game, and I'll talk about that more in a separate section. So I'm gonna list off the main bosses in this game. Again, spoilers. This entire part of this half of the geography section will be marked as spoilers. Um, so I'm gonna go through them real quick. 
Um, so first off is Gormondo, who looks like Donkey Kong, but isn't. He's a lot of fun. Then we got Tropic Woods. Kirby games always reliably have an evil tree of some kind. It looks harmless, but for some reason, it's always spitting air and sees at you and is trying to hurt you and stuff like that. I don't know. It's just a Kirby game thing. But Tropic Woods called, what is it? The Unfriendly Fawns? Fronds? Funniest title ever. Next up is Claroline, who's this like very aggressive cat. She's, she's, yeah, she's aggressive. Then there's King DDD. King DDD always finds some way to get turned over to the dark side. And he's, he just, I don't know, I feel kind of bad for him because he's not an inherently evil character. For some reason, he just always is like mind controlled to do bad things. So King DDD appears here and he's trying to destroy Kirby and it's not a great time. He also actually has some, he has a role in the story of this game. I'm not gonna go into detail here though. Next up is Silly Dillo, who is this goofy armadillo type of, uh, creature that is noted as a collector so there's like a bunch of toys around the area when you fight him and he even constructs like a female armadillo robot thing that he dances with but then later throws at your face and i'm like that's a bit disrespectful the next is forgo ddd who is like this more i beast i guess form of ddd because he has this like pig like mask on and again it's definitely a mind control thing king, king ddd has been made to do this before go ddd is more powerful than king ddd and it's a two-phase boss not fun next up is the first if you will final boss of the game named leon gar and he is the leader of all the previous beat like all the previous bosses i.e silly dillo claroline tropic woods and Gorimondu. um uh, so he's he's their leader, and he uh, he's a giant lion, and he's 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 actually great. I love the design of Leon Gar. Um, his battle was genuinely difficult the first time around. Like I did it, but it was like, oh my goodness, what is this battle? What is going on? He is attacking me, and I do not like that. Um, but it was very doable. Then um, Fecto Forgo. So this is also another spoiler thing, is that uh, there is this entity known as. Elphilin, um, and, oh, sorry, Elphilin is the little creature who is your kind of exposition character who journeys along with Kirby. They become friends and it's really wholesome because Elphilin loves Kirby's company and he'll always give you a little speech text or something and just be like, I'm so happy we're adventuring together. Or when you get to Wandaria Remains, he's like, oh, the amusement park looks like so, so much fun. Which ride should we go on first? It's just very, very wholesome. But Elphilin has this like counterpart named Elphilus. And Elphilus is very evil and chaotic. And Elphilus is this weird, like it's a weirder chinchilla creature that has this like quite large head and a smaller body. Like it's very disproportionate in terms of its uh, body. Um, and basically what it does is it absorbs Leongar and a bunch of other beasts, i.e. enemies you've encountered throughout the game. Um, it absorbs them into this one kind of amalgamation of a bunch of different creatures and it turns into like this blue, like green goop that chases after Kirby down a hallway and Facto Forgo, that's the name it takes. And well, it uses Leongar's face as this, as, as the face of, of it. So you have this giant wall of green goop that has the faces of a bunch of different like animal creature type of things on it with Leon Gar's petrified expression 
being the one lunging at you and things like that. And it is genuinely terrifying. I'm like, it's a very doable battle sequence, but it is no fun to look at. I'm like, this would be extremely creepy in any other circumstance. And this is not that wholesome for a Kirby game. Basically the end of the, of the game just does this 180 in terms of tone, where it's like, you've got this sense once you get to original wasteland and Redgar Forbidden Lands, where it's like, yeah, that we're getting to the darker part of the game, we're getting to the end, we're going to face the final boss, and it's going to be stressful, but it's going to be fun. It, it, the tone just really dips after the Leon Gar battle, in my opinion, because it just grows like so dark and like it's intense all of a sudden. And I'm like, this is the complete opposite of the vibes of this of a Kirby game. Because like, you know, you're in Everbay Coast and it's a beach, and it's wholesome and the water's clear and you greet some birds. It's like, it's nice. But here you're getting chased by some green goop abomination with these like petrified faces of a bunch of different animals and it's like what the heck is happening and i do not want to be here but that is not the end folks this is not the final boss for the final boss is fecto elphilis basically elphilin and elphilis are one and the same creature i.e in the sense that they are technically one and when they are separated they don't have the power to do stuff elphilin literal like angel elphilis I don't know what it's on, but it is upset by a lot of things and wants to cause mass destruction. So what Elphilis does is it forcefully merges with Elphilin to become Fecto Elphilis, the final boss of the game. Fecto Elphilis was so hard and I was stressed the entire time trying to defeat this thing. The amount of anxiety I had every time it flew up in the sky, because huh, it develops wings, every time it flew up in the sky, and attacked me, I was like, I think I might die. But this is the point in the game where I'm gonna talk about the final, final, final battle of this game. And it is the most fun I have had facing a final boss of the kind. But I also was laughing the most I have ever had facing the final boss. Not because it was easy or because it was dorky, but because of what you need to do to defeat Fecto Elphilis. So Fecto Elphilis kind of is like a, is your typical two-phase final boss, meaning that for the first phase, he's gonna, like, he's gonna do a certain set of attacks. Then the second phase will become more complicated. He'll throw more stuff at you. He literally throws more stuff at you where he creates rifts in the dimensions and throws like asteroids at you. And they like crash on top of this like building that you're fighting on. And it's like, but why? This is a bit excess. You already have a giant scythe. I think you, I don't think you need to use any more, but no, but that's what he's doing. That's what Fecto Elphilus is doing. Keep in mind that Fecto Elphilus is still merged with Elphilin, who is our trusty little friend. We don't want to hurt Elphilin. So basically when you defeat Fecto Elphilus, you um, free Elphilin in the process because he's encased in like this like orb within Fecto Elphilin. Fecto Elphilin, sorry, Elphilus, Elphilin. I'm going to try this again. Okay, so Elphalin, who's been our friend this entire time, he's the little green, blue-green chinchilla who's like really adorable and stuff. He's encased within some kind of orb within Fecto Elphilis. So you gotta get him out of Elphilis, which you do in the end. Boom, you defeated Fecto Elphilis and saved Elphalin in the process, wonderful. But it's not over yet because there's a secret third phase because typical of previous Kirby games, at least in my experience, is that not only does the game reveal its final boss to you, it will somehow use the game's main gimmick as part of the final fight. So if you remember, the copyability that was introduced for this game as its main gimmick was mouthful mode. 
Kirby swallows a big rig truck and drives on top of a bunch of buildings that have been brought from different dimensions because what Fecto Elphilis does, Salty, that Elphilin's been separated from it again, decides to open the rift back to planet Popstar, but make the two planets collide. So whatever planet the, forget the Forgotten Land is on, it's gonna collide and crash into planet Popstar and destroy everything everywhere. So Kirby has to save his homeland and save everyone in the process, obviously. So what does he do? He swallows a big rig truck and drives on top of the buildings that are falling and distorting all like all throughout the sky as you get closer and closer to Fecto Elphilus. And that is the most button mashing and joystick turning I have ever done to defeat a final boss, but it was so, so funny because you have this like weird animal creature that's got wings and huge ears and stuff flying around wielding this like spear thing and throwing a crap ton of magic or something at you i don't know it's got some like psychic supernatural abilities and it's throwing all this stuff at you meanwhile you're just a truck and you're just driving into it and it's just so funny oh it's the it was a glorious final fight everyone but that's fecto elphilis who is such a difficult boss and i was like th this was crazy this was a crazy final fight it was so much fun though in some ways because i'm like it's do it's it's the set it's the same thing i said before which is that it's doable just like leongar and fecto forgo but fecto elphilis was a real journey because it at no point in the battle is it easy like it's doable but that doesn't mean it's easy and that's actually a statement that applies to a lot of this game which is that it's um it's just not it's doable but not necessarily easy by default so there are some things there are definitely some parts of this game that are easy but that doesn't necessarily apply to the game as a whole especially once you get to the latter half i.e red bar forbidden lands the game difficulty definitely ups but yeah so obviously um so this is end of spoilers um for this section at least so that was some stuff about geography and whatnot so now we know the kind of place we're working with when it comes to the forgotten land all of this is to say that it's a very very expansive environment you get to look at a bunch of different places a lot of different locations that force you to interact like differently with the environment i think i'm just repeating my words a lot but when you have places like natural plains it's like again you have that grassland abandoned cityscape but then you have other places that just have a completely different feel like an amusement park so it's like there's a bunch of different like really cool different like tones and things to the to this game that make it so much fun to adventure through you're never going to feel bored when you go to these new areas because you're always going to be excited as to what the new area is going to be like so even when you get through the game and you eventually beat it you're going to have so much fun because getting there was genuinely enjoyable because i can say for myself that seeing all these different areas and learning you know what the levels were like and all the different sub areas like the levels themselves what they look like and what you can do within those levels so much fun so cool and they really take things a step up from previous kirby games that's the other thing it does not feel like they're just copy and pasting previous environments that we've seen in earlier kirby games it takes a spin on it puts that open world aspect to it makes it genuinely immersive where you want to explore and not only do you want to explore you can explore so with that being said i'm now going to talk about some side stuff uh things that are important to the game in a fun way not entirely mandatory but definitely things you will want to do 
because it adds to the cuteness factor of the game and it adds to the just the general enjoyment. So let's get into these things. Right, folks so this is the part where i'm going to talk about waddle d town so um saving waddle d's not only do you want to save the waddle d's because there's quests attached to them and it leads to that completionist uh journey where you're saving all 300 in the game saving waddle d's leads to them building a town waddle d town and that is your starting area in the game it's very easy to return to no matter how far you get no matter what progress you make it's very easy to go back there um, so the thing is that saving the waddledees will lead to the creation of new buildings. Um, there's also like fun little games and other activities that grant the player with rewards, such as rare stones or star coins. Um, and overall, it's just like a nice place to live because basically this is a refuge for the saved waddledees and for you as Kirby, because you're all brought to this new world and you don't know if you can return to Planet Popstar. So waddledee town is your home away from home. Um, so I'm not going to go through all the places that are included in Waddle D Town, and they require a certain number of Waddle Dees to be saved. Like some places, are like you need to save 50 in order for this building to be built. It doesn't tell you what building will be built until it's built. If that makes sense, but it's like you need 50 for this building, or you need 100 for this building, that kind of a thing. Um, so uh, there's the fishing pond. I forget how many waddle dees you need to save to unlock the fishing pond, but that gives you a little mini game where you can fish for what are called blippers, which are basically fish, these little round fish that have goggles. It's the cutest thing ever. Um, you can fish for blippers and you get star coin rewards. The bigger the fish, the more money you get. Um, then there's the game parlor where you do this like little motion controlled mini game type of thing, also a way to get money. Um, then there's Kirby's house where if you need to heal up your health, you can always come back to Waddledee Town after you save enough, a certain number of Waddledees. You come back to your house, you go to bed, you get some rest, and your health is fully recovered. Then there's the main plaza, which develops more and more over time. So at first, it's just going to be like a generic kind of grassy little um, dip in the ground that has some benches. Um, but then there's more concrete work, then there's more um, there's flowers that are planted to surround the main plaza, um, things like that. So it becomes more and more developed the more waddle these you save. Um, then some specific buildings, there are some that are owned by Waddle So there's the Waddle Cinema where you can watch cutscenes from the game and you enter a little movie theater and it's the cutest thing ever. Then there's the Waddle Cafe where you can buy some uh, goods, things that will recover health. Um, but it also includes a sub game where you can help serve food to very hungry waddle bees. And I'm like, yes, this is just adorable. And they have these little, not chef hats, but like serving hats. It's like, I don't know, they just look adorable. Um, there's also uh, the Waddle Dee's Weapon Shop. I think this is something I was going to touch on before when I talked about copy abilities and the fact that you can evolve them. Um, this is to say that you need to go to the Waddle Dee's Weapon Shop where the Waddle Dee who runs this weapon shop he is the, the cutest he has these like the um he has that like 
whatever metallic mask that you wear when you're like forging weapons and like uh, firing things and things like that. Like, he wears that. He has, a, I don't know if he has a little apron or something, but he's always like covered in like dirt, like, or like soot or something. Like, like he just always looks like he's working, but it's the cutest thing ever. And I love it so much. So when you unlock Waddle Dee's weapon shop and then you go to all the treasure roads and things like that, that this is who you talk to to power up your abilities. And there's a separate room in the weapons shop where you can fight Mr. Sandbag, who's just this enemy dummy doesn't attack you back. It's just this enemy dummy where you can practice using attacks. So outside of Treasure Road, the game also gives you Mr. Sandbag. So that's also another way to figure out, oh, this is all the stuff I can do with this copy ability powered up. And it's really cool because sometimes you don't want to be using a copy ability that you've powered up recently for the first time when you're going through a level because it's like, oh, I didn't know I could do that. Or it's like, oh, that's what this would have applied to earlier in the level that I forgot to do, um, that kind of a thing. Um, so I actually think going to Mr. Sandbag in this separate room and just mashing a bunch of buttons and figuring out um, how the copy ability works in its evolved form I actually think this is a great a great thing to include because it definitely gives you a way to figure out, okay, this is all the all the applications of this ability. But yeah, Waddle Dee's Weapon Shop, love it so much. And essentially there's blueprints that are hidden throughout all the levels in the game. So aside from saving Waddle Dee's and collectibles, there are also blueprints. You need to find blueprints through all the, throughout the levels, which are also in hidden areas, not easy to find, and give the blueprints to this Waddle Dee, and then he will he'll be able to power it up for you so you can't it's not like oh once you make a certain amount of progress then you can power up this many abilities or something like that you have to find the blueprint in order to actually access the uh ability to evolve um you can't do it otherwise there's no way to shortcut that you need to find the blueprint in order to evolve an ability i forgot some crucial details um so you if you press on the left joy con the right uh, the right arrow or the left arrow, either one, and you approach a waddle Kirby will wave high to them and they will wave high back and they will be smiling and they'll like stand on their toes and be like waving their little stubs up in the air. And it's just the most adorable thing ever. And I could just spend my entire day saying hi to everyone in town because that's how much joy it, it, it brings me. Um, I thought I could just do a, a normal description, but then after I had like talked about the cafe i was like i need to talk about it a little bit more it's just I, I can't leave it at that that's not i'm not doing it any justice when you do like the part-time work it's a way to get star coins in the game and it's really fun but you have to serve waddle these and you, like they're as customers um based on like whatever food is available you got to serve them the right the the thing that they want if you mess it up customer um, happiness, the meter goes down. Then there's a lunchtime rush where like rapid fire, just a bunch of waddle these line up. But it's really funny when you fail because they like get so upset, throw their arms up in the air and then just leave. <laughs> what even is this game? It's just so, so funny and adorable. And one last thing is that with the Waddle Dees as well, especially the more you save and the more developed the town is, you're more likely to see these kinds of things happening. But they're just literally living their own life. They're having a good time. I watched a Waddle Dee water some flowers, be happy with its work, leave, and then proceeds to like trip and fall on like a flat on the flat ground, but then picks itself right back up and then just continues walking. And I'm like, that was just the cutest thing ever. Like, why is this so adorable? This is no business being this adorable. It's like, you don't realize you're missing something until you have it. And then you're like, oh my God, I did not know I needed this in my life. 
that's what this game is. That's what Waddle D Town is. It's just, it's, it's the thing you didn't know you were missing. And then once you have it, you're like, my life has literally changed. And for the better, like things can only go up from here. That is my experience with this game. I mean, Kirby games for the most part are really great for acquiring serotonin, but Kirby and the Forgotten Land, it's just, it just hits different folks. It just hits different. So really cool stuff. Um, uh, as a side note, um, the music in this game is absolutely phenomenal. I'm going to dedicate a separate episode discussing this game's music because I don't have the time to do it justice here. And now some more spoilers. Okay. So this is going to be talking about the post game. So I don't think Kirby games typically have a post game. Um, and I was like, what the heck? This game, even after all the stuff that you do in the main game, there is a post game. I'm like bonkers. So after you save all the Waddle Dees, Waddle Live Corner Stage appears, which is comprised of a band of Waddle Dees after you, you beat the main game and they're adorable because they'll just play little tracks. You got your, your little Waddle Dee on the keyboard. You got your, your Waddle Dee on guitars and bass, right? And then you got your drummer Waddle Dee. Oh, they're just so adorable. And I, I just wish they were real. They're just so cute. Um, but what I want to talk about here in the post game is the area of the isolated isles. Basically, there's an observation tower that you that will be built in Waddle Town after you make, you know, that significant amount of progress through the game. You'll get the observation tower, and from there, there's this like, you know, vortex that you can jump through, and it takes you to the isolated isles. There are five areas, I believe, in the isolated isles, but they are each an amalgamation of the previous like six worlds that you went to. So or something like that. So first is Natural Plains, where it combines aspects of, I think, I don't know if they throw in like Everbay Coast into there either, but basically each of those sub areas merge different aspects of previous places you've already been to. But the goal here is that at the, the end result of the main game is that Leongar's soul is like impacted because of Elphilis. So his soul has been split up into like some 300, 500, I forget, 300, something, something like that. His soul has been split up into like these like glowing orbs. So you need to find all parts of Leongar's soul to access the final area. Um, and that'll take you back to this alternate reality lab discoverer. You also face phantom forms of all the bosses I described, described before. So phantom Gormandu, phantom Tropic Woods, phantom Chloraline, um, phantom Silly Dillo, like all those kinds of things. And they are significantly harder than their normal forms. Oh my goodness, I actually genuinely struggled with uh, phantom Silly Dillo and not even just that, like I think I almost died too. And I was like, this is crazy. So like, it was like a clutch victory last second. But anyways, you go to the, the alternate lab discoverer where Leongar is located. Um, Leongar goes nuts again, even though he like, you recover all parts of his soul and he becomes forego Leongar in mid, in mid battle. So he's a two phase boss. He's still like normal evil, I guess. Um, and then he becomes forego Leongar where he's possessed by Elphilis. Um, Elphilus merges with him and attacks you at the same time, and it is the worst. It's literally the worst because you have to dodge Elphilus while also dodging Leongar, so they're attacking you both at once. Then, after defeating Leongar, Elphilus merges with a butterfly and transforms into Morpho Knight, who greatly resembles Meta Knight, who is a recurring character in this franchise. If you don't know who Meta Knight is, I don't know how you don't, but that's okay because I mean, Meta Knight's pretty iconic, just like Kirby. 
But anyways, Morpho Knight, what an annoying boss. I hated that boss so much, but Morpho Knight is the final boss of the post game. So the Isolated Isles is a real step up in terms of difficulty level of the game, even in easy mode. I struggled with the Isolated Isles, even in easy mode. I struggled with Morpho Knight, Leongar, and Elphilis in easy mode. So to put it in perspective, to play this in wild mode, I'm not looking forward to this. I'm stressed. But anyways, um, that's about, okay, so end of spoilers here. So um, uh, this is, uh, this, this, that was, yes, yeah, so this is all the stuff you really need to know about this game in terms of copy abilities, the use of mouthful mode, um, how you get through this game, the geography. There's just so much to do and it's so refreshing. It's so nice. But they also add in all these little side things that really just take, give you a break from all the normal stuff that you do in the game. Cause I can understand how some parts of this game can feel a little bit monotonous where it's like, oh, you go from world to world. I am like explicitly not describing other story elements that happens here because I'm keeping that spoiler free. Um, I obviously uh, did have some spoiler content in this episode that dealt with the story, but um, I'm trying to like in the spoiler free sections like I am now, I'm not going to go over those details. So there, there's definitely a story in this game. It's very much clear. You have your cast of characters um, and there are stakes. There are actually things to care about beyond just going from rural, like the first world to the second world to the third world. It's definitely still much more than that. Um, but yeah, so lots going on and it's a lot of fun. So it's time to conclude and give this game a rating. So what does this what does this tell us about Kirby and the Forgotten Land? Well, like I said at the beginning, this is a wonderful game. It is truly a joyful experience, and it gives me so much serotonin. And we love that for a game, don't we? Um, where you just feel genuinely excited to play the game, you enjoy it. It's fun. Um, actually, for me, replaying through the game in wild mode is kind of interesting because there's certain quests that I remember doing, and then there's others where like I'm purposely not looking up how to do them because I'm just like I'm trying to like see if I can do it from memory and if I don't then the game just tells me what I forgot to do and I'm like ah that's right I'm supposed to do this this way um and I'm still enjoying it for what it is I love replaying through this game um also like the way that the game begins is there's a whole cutscene where like you watch Kirby driving around in the car like as a car sorry um and it's just the cutest thing ever and i remember like watching that cutscene for the very first time and being like wow this game is already worth the purchase because of how adorable it is and how kirby is like listening to the radio and he's like bopping up and down like he's he's vibing you know and it's just the cutest thing to see i just love it so much so um my bias rating for this game is 11 out of 10. um uh it's just a phenomenal game um it's so much fun it's adorable there's so many moments where i'm like that is just so cute it has no right being this cute and then there's other moments where i was like holy crap this is actually intense what is going on and then there's other moments where i'm like i'm just enjoying the ride and it's just so much fun and it's great like there's a bunch of different moods you're gonna go through but you're gonna have fun no matter what mood you're in there's uh all the different geographies are fresh they're fun they're interactive um and the little quests that they give you for each level are also different um and again fun so like when you find out about them it's like removing a wanted poster it's such a simple thing but it's like that's it's just 
There's just aspects of it that feel really wholesome. The music, wonderful, top tier, amazing, extreme. It definitely helps with the immersive aspect of it. I really don't have the time to talk about the music, but the music of this game is just so good. Um, whether it be the end of the game or the beginning of the game, actually, actually, that is a good point to make. The music at the beginning of the game really sets you up for the adventure you're about to go on, it feels very momentous in that way. And then at the end of the game, when you're in in the final battle type of thing, again, momentous and callbacks to previous tracks introduced in the game as well, in the sense that it's like, things have come full circle. You're When you listen to that music, you're like, oh my God, this is the end, here we go. This is the final battle, it's happening. It's gonna be a thing, I'm gonna beat the gate. Like you feel that momentum again. So when you start the game, you have that sense of, um, not uncertainty, but the fact that you don't know what you're getting yourself into, that you're like, what's what's in store for Kirby? What's this world going to offer? What's going to be thrown at him? By the time you get to the end of the game, you know what that experience has been like, but you're like, ah, yes, I have reached the end. I've come, like, you, you have come a long way from those early beginnings where you didn't know anything. It's this very simple concept, but Kirby in the Forgotten Land is so wonderful for it, and it does it very efficiently. The game is not doing a whole lot, to be clear. You don't have to, you know, be super good at clicking buttons to be good at this game. You don't even, you know, like, this is, it's not that complicated in the grand scheme of things. I can see for, like, people who are new, 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 new to games that this is maybe still a bit of a learning curve, but it's a, it's pretty intuitive, not that difficult, and the game does show you how to do things, so it's not like it's it's ever too complicated or ever too confusing you just gotta you just gotta let yourself have fun and explore and just see see what all there is to see because then you're gonna get the full experience and i know i have like saving all the waddledies and like finding all the little hidden areas and stuff it's been so much fun um i should give an unbiased rating though because if a, a biased rating is 11 out of 10 of course that's a very very favorable rating right my unbiased rating would be anywhere between 8 to 9.5 out of 10. there is only one drawback in this game in my opinion so basically you hit certain checkpoints not, not marked by like a flag or anything but the game will just say checkpoint in the bottom left hand corner of the screen whenever you hit that checkpoint um, within a level. The problem is, is that let's say you realize you missed a quest that you wanted to do and it's like, oh crap, it's earlier in the level. There's no way for you to, within the level itself, to go back to that earlier checkpoint. You need to start over a level from scratch if you make a mistake of some kind or you feel like, oh, I wanna get all the things in one go. You have to start from the very beginning. So you can't save any of your progress. Um, I can't say that that's the most effective thing. Now, the only other option for trying to get back to a checkpoint or just be like, uh, like you're in the middle of something and you realize, oh crap, I, I needed to go back, but I'm like trapped in the section. I can't backtrack anymore. Um, I need to do this thing. Um, you could just like make Kirby die, which is a very sad thing and I didn't like doing, but you also lose a hundred coins in the process. So I don't recommend that strategy. So again, the only drawback I would say is that the checkpoints in this game are not the most effective, but also Kirby games have never been one for checkpoint anyway, like checkpoints anyway, like that's not really ever been its thing. At any time that I've missed stuff in previous Kirby games as well, I would just manually go back for it anyway. I just replace the level because that's all I could do. This game is no different. I think the reason that maybe uh, it's more noticeable or maybe more of a problem is that the levels are definitely more open world. There's a lot more interaction to be had. There's a lot more room to do things. So it's like, 
it's possible to miss stuff easier in a sense. So with, with that being the case, you're going to be like, oh, I just want to get it done all in one go. I want to go back to that. It's very hard to do that. You're more likely to just start the level over from scratch and then just go through it. But that's a very minor drawback in my opinion. That's a very minor like issue to have with the game because it, otherwise for me, does not really have any flaws. It's so much fun. The quests are never too complicated. It's never too much of a challenge. But I will say that wild mode is because you have to be way more aware of the fact that you have a, a shorter health bar. You're going to die a whole lot faster if you're not careful. So the game definitely does things to uh, to make things more difficult. Um, definitely, it, it definitely balances out a lot of things at once really effectively. I didn't talk about co-op at all because I just played this by myself. <laughs> I, 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 I am alone in this experience. But um, I will say that like considering that this is like this has a lot of not I, I wouldn't say Super Mario Odyssey vibes, but it doesn't it does borrow some some bits of gameplay from Super Mario Odyssey. I'm pretty sure the co-op Waddle Dee, like the the Waddle Dee who will be the second player, I think functions a lot like Cappy in Super Mario Odyssey, where you're definitely gonna get more of an experience as Kirby than you will if you're doing like two player. Um, but I'm sure two player also makes it easier to complete quests, makes it maybe easier to defeat the like bosses and stuff. Not entirely sure, but I'm I think the co-op thing, just as a general point. Is, is a fun thing to add because then you know you can play it with someone else and experience the fun together so there i wouldn't say there's a flaw with that at all i know i didn't talk about it too much but i'm sure it's great so this was the lore research last findings on how wonderful a game this is discussing kirby and the forgotten land i'm sure all like this all, all this all this talking i've done has shown that this is a great game totally worth your time and energy you will have lots of fun and the biggest thing is that it will guaranteed bring a smile to your face. Thanks for tuning in folks, and I'll see you next time.